Good morning. We're so glad you're here. Would you stand to your feet and let's worship together? Come on, put your hands together.
Waking up knowing there's a reason All my dreams come alive Life is for living with you I made my decision Come on, you lift me up You lift me up so thankful for the word of the Lord. I just want to read to you from the book of Psalms. Psalms 145 says, I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. 
I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful mercies. Your awe-inspiring miracles will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. Today, that's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna sing of the Lord's greatness. We're gonna declare his praises together.
this time this morning. God, we take this time out of our week. God, we acknowledge you here in this place today. God, we take this time to lift you high, God. We give you our highest and our best praise today. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. We are so glad that you're here this morning. You sound great. Would you take a moment and step out from your seat and greet the people sitting next to you this morning? everyone welcome to memorial day weekend service here at the assembly i'm barry i'm one of the associate pastors here and we are so glad that you have joined us on this memorial weekend for this service if you are new to our church in these next few moments we're going to go through some of the upcoming events that are on our calendar and we'd love the opportunity to get a little bit more information about you there's a connect card in the seat back in front of you here in these next few moments if you could fill that out and place it in the offering bucket as it passes by that will give us an opportunity just to connect with you and give you some great information about our church and how we might can partner with you on your spiritual journey. Uh, next week, we start a, a class that we hold each month. If you have been coming to the church for a while or maybe you've been here for a long time and you just haven't stepped forward to get plugged in here at the assembly, we have a class just for you called Growth Track. We're starting the first week of that next week. It's in the 9 o'clock hour. If you'd like information about that, you can just go to theassembly.org slash growth track. You can get information. You can get signed up. Even if you don't sign up, we'd love for you just to show up next week, and you're going to learn more about our church, more about how you can get involved and how you can continue to grow on your spiritual journey. Well, we've got several big events coming up, but this summer, in this time of the year, we really start focusing on our summer missions trips. And you'll notice in your bulletin that we have an advertisement for 50K Days. Uh, 50K Days is an event where we have our Impact Student Ministry attempt to raise $50,000 for their summer missions trips. And I know these students are excited about it. Let me hear Impact. All right. I know they're small in number today because a lot of you guys have your friends at the lake. I know that. Hey, but these guys are ready and eager to raise money to go on these missions trips. Before this summer is over, between the student ministry and the adults, we'll have over 100 people who will be involved in some form of missions work. Let's give our, our church a hand for that, for the calling we have in that area. So here's how you can get involved. Maybe this is your first summer and you've never heard what 50K Days is all about. But what they do from June the 9th to June the 11th, for 50 hours, they attempt to raise $50,000 to offset some of the travel costs of the upcoming missions trips. So if you've got a job around the house you just haven't gotten to, whether it be painting, uh, maybe cleaning out that garage, mowing your grass even, we would love that opportunity for you to get connected. You can go to theassembly.org slash 50K. You can get signed up. You can call the office, and we'll get you connected. There's even a pastor's team this year. We've got three student teams, but if you want to see your pastor sweat, 
and do some menial jobs for you, which we are competing to beat these students. So while the students are small in number, I want all the adults to hear, the pastors would love the jobs that you have. So if you go, make sure you tell them Barry sent you and we'll do real well there. All right, we're, not, we're excited about whichever team gets the trips there. I wanna invite the ushers forward this summer. Uh, you can see today that many of our church family have, have taken some R&R today. They're having vacation. Uh, but I know throughout the summer, you're gonna have other weeks maybe that you're hit or miss. And I just wanna remind you there are, there are several ways to stay connected in your giving to the church. And, and your faithfulness in giving, even through the summer months, helps us continue to do the work of the ministry here. So you can give in the offering if you're present. You can also give through texting on your phone or you can give through your mobile phone or even your computer. So I just encourage you, if you're gonna be traveling, go ahead and set up something recurring there so that you can continue to give. You won't even have to worry about it. And you'll know that the church is continuing to function in the budget that God uh, has given us for this year. You're, you're so generous, this church is doing very well, but I just wanna give you those opportunities to stay connected in your giving even as you go. In addition to that, the live stream is just amazing at this church. I, I'm always amazed when I'm away and I'm watching or I watch a service that's been archived. If you're not here on a Sunday, make sure you tune in. You can watch online. You can even give online while you're watching. Uh, and you can be a part of that and you can watch the archive services there as well. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we continue at giving. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity we have just to worship you. I thank you for the awesome worship we just experienced. I thank you that giving is a portion and a continuation of that worship that we have for you. Lord, I pray you multiply what's given today for ministry effectiveness, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Fellow Americans, Memorial Day is a day of ceremonies and speeches. Throughout America today, we honor the dead of our wars. We recall their valor and their sacrifices. We remember they gave their lives so that others might live. The unknown soldier who has returned to us today and whom we lay to rest is symbolic of all our missing sons. About him, we may well wonder as others have. Did he marry? Did he have children? Did he look expectantly to return to a bride? We'll never know the answers to these questions about his life. We do know, though, why he died. He saw the horrors of war and bravely faced them. Certain his own cause and his country's cause was a noble one, that he was fighting for human dignity, for free men everywhere. 
Let us, if we must, debate the lessons learned at some other time. Today, we simply say with pride, thank you, dear son. May God cradle you in his loving arms. This morning we are recognizing Memorial Day and we, we have many in our midst who have served our country faithfully. We have some families even in our midst that uh, their loved one, their, their husband, their wife, uh, daughter or son may have even given the ultimate sacrifice. And so Assembly family, I wanna give us an opportunity to honor those that have served in our military, those that have given that ultimate sacrifice, the family that's represented here, as well as those that are veterans or active military or have family that are active military. Would you stand this morning if you're in any of those categories so that our Assembly family can show our appreciation to you. We don't take for granted the sacrifices and, and the decisions that, that are made every day to protect our freedom and our liberties. And I, I know we, we think America is the greatest country in the world, and it's because of men and women that are willing to serve and families that have stood behind those that are serving. So we honor you today. And today we have an opportunity uh, to hear from a different voice. Uh, today, Pastor Ron and his family are enjoying some vacation in Florida. And we have our very own outreach and missions pastor who's going to come bring a word that I heard earlier in the 9 o'clock service that you're going to want to hear. So I want us to give a warm assembly welcome to our very own Justin Weaver as he comes to bring the message today. Thanks, Barry. Well, good morning, everyone. I am so excited to be with you. I took a two-week break from the United States uh, to go on a mission trip to Thailand, and I've been back in country for about 36 hours. Um, so I got in at about 11 o'clock on Friday night, and there's not a feeling in the world like returning back to the great state of uh, great United States um, and being here uh, and enjoying all the civil liberties that we have. I love being at House of Grace. While we were at House of Grace, we had uh, just a great time with the girls who were there. I love seeing the smiles on the little girls' faces, love being able to hang out and see all that God is doing there um, as we have supported them. Uh, it, it, it's amazing to see uh, the same God who is here, who loves my little girl, loves those little girls. Uh, and getting to hang out with them and, and just spend time reminds me that there is a God who surely creates beautiful things. As we were there, we would talk to the girls, and uh, it was always amazing to me that we would tell the girls that they look beautiful. Swai Makmak means you look very beautiful. And it never failed across the board whenever we would tell those girls that, they would look back at us and they would go, my. And you would go, my, what is that? I know your tie is probably not as up to date as mine is since I've had two weeks of in-depth training. Uh, but it just means no. No, I'm not. And you would look at them and you would see just the beauty, you would see their vitality for life and just the perception of them not being beautiful was hard for me to comprehend. A couple of the things that they really, they, they, they think that doesn't make them beautiful is one, the fact that uh, they don't have hair on their arms. Now, that sounds strange, right? To me, it's foreign as an American. And the other thing um, that is strange and that they really want is white skin. So as I was pondering those two concepts, I, 
it reminded me of my junior high, right? All teenagers in every culture are pretty much the same. We have insecurities, we are self-conscious. It kept me up late at night because I was beginning to get hair on my arms and I was a really, really white kid. Now, for those of you that see this beautiful tan, this is me finding summer for you on the backside of the world. It was 94 degrees with 90% humidity. Um, so summer is there, and if that's summer, I don't want it to come here yet. So. Uh, for all you who are wanting warm weather, I have experienced that. I don't have any in between. I'm either extremely like transparent white or red. There is a short phase where I go through this pinkish tone, but I have two extremes. And I remember thinking of how beautiful their, their dark skin was and thinking of all those times that I wish I could tan, that I thought I could tan, that my mom used bronzer on me that did not work for my skin. And I was just amazed that they could even think that they were not fearfully and wonderfully made. Things that kept me up at night concerned about are the same things that keep them up. Speaking of things that keep you up, jet lag. For those of you that have experienced jet lag, let me just remind you, I came into country about 36 hours ago. Uh, so now I'm getting close to midnight. Uh, so I'm glad that you guys are staying up with me till midnight. We're gonna have a great time as we jump into God's word. The culture in Thailand is very different. When you look at the overall culture, sure, teenagers have their self-conscious, they have their different things, but the overall culture in Thailand is very different. Right now, they're in a military coup, so um, the political parties do not exist. It has been overthrown by the military because of riots. And one of the things that really surprised me was that if you insult the king, you go directly to jail. Do not pass go, do not collect $200. Now, I know that there is none of you in this room that have ever said a harsh thing about Obama, so you wouldn't have to worry about this as our fearless leader. The first service they, they had, so we've prayed for them. They're good. <laughs> but there was a guy who posted on Facebook last May, and he received 60 years of prison for posting something derogatory against the king. Now, before you think that their culture is highly insensitive and they just went overboard, they have since repealed that. They've come to their senses, and now he's only serving 30 years for his Facebook comments. There are times during election season that I wish that our social media policy was enacted like that in the United States. I know the Second Amendment guarantees us our freedom of speech, but let me just tell you, if I could rack up fines for some of you on your posts during election season, I would be very rich, and you would be very much in debt. But thankfully, we don't have that here. Because of the sacrifices of people who cared so much for us, they surrendered their personal freedom so that we can say some of the ridiculous things that we say. And that we can take for granted this beautiful country that we live in. I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud every time I touch down, I wanna run down the tarmac, kiss the ground and say thank you so much for Mexican food. Thank you so much for everything that this has granted me, my right to say stupid stuff without being arrested because let me tell you, I would be serving several life sentences if stupidity were punishable by jail. In Thailand, people's rights are not guaranteed by birth. One of the amazing things to me is as you look at these little girls, they're not considered people by the Thai government because of the blood that flows through their veins. They are a ka, they are not considered citizens, so none of the rights that are guaranteed to Thai citizens extend to them. Can you imagine not being protected by your government? The harsh reality of that culture reminds me that 
We do live in a beautiful place. In fact, we were sitting out one night talking to the little girls, and uh, one of the little girls looked at me and said, everything is perfect in America. Straight face, no kidding. She really thinks that everything is perfect in America. I looked at her and I said, no, sweetie, you've got it wrong. Not everything is perfect in America, but it is a privilege to be born in the United States. I believe this is the greatest nation on the earth, and that freedom that we experienced was procured by the blood and sacrifice of patriots, and for that I'm thankful. I can't imagine what some of you experienced when you enlisted, when you put your life on the line so that we could have the liberties that we have. You risk life and death, not just out of duty, but love for fellow man. Earlier you saw the scripture, greater love hath no man than to lay down his life. And I know that there are families in this room that have been and had to pay the ultimate price for the freedom for me to stand here this morning. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we can come in here and gather and talk about a God who is bigger than just the United States. I'm thankful that I can come in here and freely express express my views on religion, that I can come in here and talk about the things that God has laid on my heart without fear of retribution or punishment. I'm thankful for people who believe in this nation so much that they stand up and defend the Constitution. And this weekend, as I reflect upon that, I began to think about the dichotomy between life and death. September 11th, 2001. Say that date, many of you will remember it. I was in Mr. Hartley's government class. I watched the planes fly into the Twin Towers, and for me, that was one of those moments that for some of you, that might have been JFK being assassinated. I don't know what it was, but as an American, I got mad. And today I stand here mad, not at things that have happened necessarily, but just at what our society has become. In Proverbs 13, 14, as we look at this scripture today and talk about just some of the dichotomy between life and death, this series has been talking about wisdom. And my hope for you that as you walk out of this place today, you would be a little smarter than you were when you walked in here. Proverbs 13, 14 says this. It says, the instruction of the wise is like a life-giving fountain. Those who accept it avoid the snares of death. It says, those who accept it avoid the snares of death. There are snares that are set out for you, not to kill you, but there is a snare of sin that I believe that Satan has set out to entrap each and every one of us to live a life so far below what we have been guaranteed by being a child of the king. I believe one of the greatest lies that culture has crafted us to believe is that our personal experience with sin will be different than others. We see people who struggle with alcoholism or drug addiction or they they struggle with some type of sin and we look at that and we think, oh man, it can never be the same for us. If I was gonna get into that, it would not be the same. But, But culture has lied to us when it comes to the topic of sin. Satan has set snares that have, ins- that have entrapped many people who are even in this room. I've heard that experience is the best teacher. Has anybody ever heard that quote? Man, I Googled it, tried to find out who said this, some great like philosophical great thinker who put experience is the best teacher. And there are so many people that it could be attributed to that even the almighty Google could not give me a frame of reference for who originally said this. But I did find in Roger Ascham, 
in the Schoolmaster, circa 1565, said this. It said, experience is a hard teacher, but a fool will learn from no other. This morning, I hope that you do not remain foolish. I know there are things that we struggle with, but the truth is, is those who hear and do not accept and do something with it are foolish. Some of the truths that I have learned about experience are this. One, experience is a brutal teacher. Experience is a brutal teacher. When you go through some experiences, they hurt. And you don't want to do that again because it is brutal. After you've experienced some things, there's no going back in the box. Once Pandora's box has been opened, there is no putting it back in. Experience is a brutal teacher. And what I've found many a times is when you do something, even if it was stupid and you shouldn't have done it, people have no sympathy for what you've done. Well, you should have known better. I try to tell you. It's your own fault. If you have to experience everything in life for yourself to determine that it is bad, let me tell you, it will be a brutally tough life. If you think and buy into the culture that that around us says, experience as much as you can, try as much as you can, just experience everything, and then you make the decision for yourself what is good, what is right. If you buy into that lie, you are foolish because experience is a brutal teacher. And the sad thing about experiences is that we remember bad experiences more vividly than good experiences. Some of you may have had a great childhood and maybe one or two bad experiences are the thing, the pinnacle that stands out in your childhood because we vividly remember bad experiences. Anybody ever eaten a certain type of food that made you have, uh, got you sick? Had a bad experience? Let me just tell you, Smashburger will never get another dime of my money. I won't go into the experience, but let me tell you, I remember it vividly, and I'll get a burger somewhere else. It's brutal. And if we buy into the lie that we have to experience it for ourselves to test the waters, to make sure, to see for ourselves that people who are wiser than us don't know what they're talking about, let me help you. You're not listening to Proverbs 13 that says the instruction of the wise is like a life-giving fountain. I remember my mom and dad, my dad is 72 years old, my dad would tell me several times, you know, yeah, you're a young whippersnapper, you're gonna find out for yourself. Absolutely. And you know what I found out after most of the experiences they tried to keep me from? That I was a young whippersnapper. Have you ever just sat and went, stupid, 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 stupid? I know you've never talked bad about yourself to yourself because that would be psychologically crazy, but I have. And I'm preaching to you this morning, so I get to stand on the stage. (laughs) There are times where I'm like, oh my gosh, why did I not just listen to the wisdom. I failed to realize that my parents might have pulled some pretty dumb stunts themselves. But we buy into this lie and we think, oh, it's not that big a deal. The second thing that I've learned about bad experiences is that it doesn't care about the residue that it leaves in your heart or head. Man, some of us still have some residue. 
We can't look at other people and talk to other people how we should because we have residue of a bad experience. We are fundamentally damaged because of an experience that we had because it was bad. And as I look across the landscape of those things and the world that's trying to tell me these things, I look back at Proverbs in twelve fifteen. it says this, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. That requires wise counsel. Some of you might look around you and be like, whoa, need to improve my counsel. The wise listen to counsel, and it's not just about listening to wisdom and, and accepting it. It is about acting it out so the snares of sin do not entrap us, keep us tangled up, held down for the rest of our lives. Because there is this myth, as I said earlier, that my sin won't have the same consequences. For those of you that are still buying into this whole thing that your sin, because it's little or categorically it's not the same or it's not that big a deal, let me just remind you of a little book called Romans. A guy named Paul wrote that. And it says something like this, for the wages of sin is death. Categorically, any type of sin, empirically, the data suggests that the wages of sin are Don't buy into the myth that your little sin is gonna be able, that you're gonna be able to hold on to it, that you're gonna be able to keep it in control because that's not what happens with sin. This last week I was subjected to one of the most heinous acts of what, if I categorically did believe in sin, would be considered sin. On Sunday night we were in Thailand, and uh, we decided that we were going to go to, uh, it was basically like a youth group meeting, two different houses. We had a house of grace and another house that was going to meet together, play some youth group games, and have fun. For those of you that don't know, I was a youth pastor for quite a few years, and so I thought, man, this will be fun. We'll go join up, play some games, have some fun, have some laughs. This is going to be awesome. So we took our team, we went over to this uh, other facility, this other home, and, and they mixed up all the teams, so we played this game, and I'm telling you, youth culture is youth culture. One of the games that they played, you had two people, um, and you had someone in the middle, and I was like, okay, what is this game called, right? I'm getting better at Thai, but I don't understand what they were doing. But I do know that I was standing in the middle of two people with outstretched arms, and I go, okay, what is this game? And they go, well, these two people are the toilet, and you're what's in the toilet. And I was like, all right, youth culture is youth culture, right? We still play the same silly games. So I didn't know if I was supposed to flush. I didn't, so I was like, what do I do here? Is it okay to just hang out in the toilet? So, and we were playing games and, and they just had like this fun night for the, for the girls and, and they divided us up into all these teams and they were all mixed up so everybody would talk because they go to the same church on Sunday mornings. And, and so we were sitting down and, and we were playing games and everybody wants to see the big goofy white guy play games, right? If you're there, they think it's just awesome so they can laugh at you. They want you to dance and do all kinds of crazy stuff. I don't dance. I did, but I don't, trust me. So we're playing this games, and, and it came time to, to get some more volunteers, and so the, the other girls from the other group, I didn't know them very well, and I was like, come on, let's go, let's play games, woo! Yelling, you know, youth culture. I can usually convince any teenager to do something they don't want to do if I just yell at them a lot, like, yeah, you can do it, yay, go team, yay, woo! Nothing. I was like, come on, 
no, or I'm going to have to play this stupid game. I've already been what's in the toilet. I don't want to play any more games right now. And I kept trying. I was prodding. I was like, come on, let's go, let's play. They would not play. When I got back the next morning, we were eating breakfast, and uh, Judapon, who is, one, who is the lady who is the head of House of Grace, her and her husband, Allah, lead up House of Grace, they began to tell us about the home that we went to. The home that we went to was for children who had been abused or trafficked. Several of the girls were under the age of 10. No wonder they didn't want to play. Why? Because sin. Humanity is broken. And one of the greatest things that I think is an offense to God is the stealing of innocence from a child. I have two little daughters, and I can promise you, the smiling pastor that I am, if you hurt my daughters, we're going to have to get into the theory of pacifism versus action. And to look at those girls and to think that that had happened, I remember vividly a little girl in a watermelon dress. Couldn't have been more than seven or eight years old. Why? Because of the effects of sin. I don't believe anybody ever woke up one morning and said, man, I can't wait to damage a child. I cannot wait to screw them up for life. I don't think that happened, but what I think happened was sin crept in and it became so destructive because that's what sin does. Sin doesn't want a house in the village. It wants to burn the whole village to the ground. It is an ugly, ugly, ugly thing. A few days later, we were finishing up our trip. We were walking down the night market, and a guy came up to me with a menu. Not a food menu. He came up to me with a menu and said, hey, would you like to partake? He goes, I've got some young girls. We are broken. Here in America, we don't understand the civil liberties that we are afforded that allow us to say some of the dumb things that we say, but there is an even bigger problem. It is sin. It is breaking humanity. One of my friends said that sin will take you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. And some of you right now are under the premise that you can control the sin that is in your life. And let me tell you today, you do not control sin. It controls you. You do not control sin. It controls you. If you have committed a life that has chosen to walk away from God, here's what I can tell you. When you are choosing to sin, it will control you. It will not stop with things that you think are petty and small. It will eventually consume and burn the village to the ground. Jeannie Mayo said this. She said, any desire I toy with continually in my mind will eventually make me its toy. Any desire I toy with continually in my mind will eventually make me its toy. In this room today, there are a lot of puppets on strings that you think for some reason that you're in control and you can handle the sin that is in your life. But let me tell you, you cannot. It will control you. Let me talk to the men in the room. Ladies, I love you. 
You're incredible. Your ability to mother and take care of kids, to wipe noses, among other things, is unbelievable. Your ability to love. But men, there is a responsibility upon you. Your children's view of who God is will be affected by the person that you are. Many of you have it backwards and think that God blessed you with a job. He blessed you with a family. He blessed you with the ability to speak into other people's lives and far too many times we step aside and allow others to lead the way when God is calling us. He is calling us to step up and be the men that he has created us to be. This morning as we were in worship, my daughter was in the first service. She came in to sit in the first service and she was sitting a few rows back and I was sitting up front. And I remember during worship, I, I, was, I was worshiping and, and I looked back and my daughter was staring at me. Oh, you think the responsibility of being a pastor and standing on stage is a big deal? Look into the eyes of a six-year-old who deserves nothing better than my best. And the same can be said for every person in this room. If you don't get it in control, it will consume and burn the village to the ground. 1 John 3, 9 says this. It says, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. And I'm not even talking about the big ones. I'm talking about some of the things that we categorically in our own minds would consider small. Sin is sin. If you repetitively continue to do the same things over and over and over and over and over and over again, were you ever truly sorry? Second truth I've learned is that sin creates collateral damage. Sin creates collateral damage. Oh, you foolish, foolish, selfish individual. You thought the things that you were doing that nobody else knew about would only affect you. <laughs> those that love you and those that you love will be affected if you allow sin to run rampant in your life. Your children of God we don't continue sinning so that his grace may abound. We are dead to sin. We are alive in Christ Jesus. One of the most profound statements from my time in Thailand was this. We were sitting talking to Judah Pond, who had been there for 27 years. She's been at House of Grace for 27 years. Phenomenal individual. She was one of the, the first girls to graduate from House of Grace. And as we were talking to her, she said this. She said, most of my friends who were in the villages, the poorest, some of the poorest villages there, the Aka villages, she said, most of my friends who were in that village traveled to Bangkok and entered the profession. She said, most of the girls from my village that are my age are either dead or have HIV. Oh, collateral damage. You don't understand that you living selfish, not understanding what the impacts of sin, the wages of sin are death. If you continue without changing your course, there are little eyes that are watching you. There are eyes that are watching you and there will be collateral damage. You do not get to live in a vacuum and be selfish enough to think that you can do whatever you want and nobody else will feel the effects. That is not how life works. 
And remember what I said about experiences, those, those hard, hurtful experiences are some of the ones that we remember the most. How dare you continue to go on saying that it's okay. Third truth is this, is someone will ultimately pay the price for your sin. Wages of sin are death, unequivocally. Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There is a price that must be paid for sin. That is the truth. There's no reason to debate about it. There's no reason to try and get through the theological implications. This is what happens with sin. It breaks, it fragments everything that it touches. In authentic relationships, all of these things will be a byproduct of sin. And I know I'm telling you that this morning, and these seem like such simple points. Some of you are like, I know this, 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 I know this. Albert Einstein said this. He said, any fool can know. The point is to understand Do you understand that you were bought with a price? Do you understand that there was a sacrifice that was given so that you don't have to be bound by sin? Ultimately, somebody will pay that price. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for those who accept him. Not those that continue to sin and do whatever they want, but those who surrender their life to him and say, God, you are center of my life. Now help me with my sin problem. Because someone will ultimately pay. And any fool can know. There are people who can tell me everything about Jesus. They can tell me more than I know about Jesus. But they don't understand. They don't understand what that meant in their life. And many of you don't understand this morning that you are in a life or death struggle. You just don't get it. The stakes are high. It won't settle for a little. It won't settle for just today. It wants your tomorrow. It wants your future. It won't be satisfied until it consumes you. As we reflect upon this weekend, there's a story that reminds me of the life and death struggle. You know those days when you step outside and you feel barometric pressure dropping, you can feel that something's gonna be happening. You can feel that there's a storm coming or you just know. As Okies, it's like you can wake up in the morning and go, yep, there's a nader coming. It's one of those mornings on February 24th, 1836, that a man who was facing insurmountable odds sat down at a little wooden desk. Inside of a shell-shocked fort and penned this letter. Colonel Travis wrote a letter to the people of Texas and to all Americans in the world. He said, fellow citizens and compatriots, I am besieged by a thousand or more of the Mexicans under Santa Ana. I have sustained a continual bombardment and cannonade for 24 hours and have not lost a man. 
The enemy has demanded a surrender at discretion. Otherwise, the garrison are to be put to the sword if the fort is taken. Now, being from Texas, I love this next part. He said, I've answered their demand with a cannon shot and our flag still waves proudly from the walls. I will never surrender and I will never retreat. I call on you in the name of liberty, of patriotism and everything dear to the American character to come to our aid with all dispatch. The enemy is receiving reinforcements daily and will no doubt increase to three or 4,000 in four or five days. If this call is neglected, I am determined to sustain myself as long as possible and die like a soldier who never forgets what is due to his own honor and that of his country. Victory or death. William Barrett Travis. Lieutenant Colonel Commander, P.S. The Lord is on our side. When the enemy appeared in sight, we had not three bushels of corn. We have since found in deserted houses 80 or 90 bushels and got into the walls 20 or 30 head of beeves. From Oklahoma, you know what bevo is. It's cows. There are times in life when we feel surrounded by insurmountable odds. We look out and all we see are the things that we've done wrong, or we see this insurmountable force, we see our past failures, we see our past bad experiences, and we sit down and we think, God, if you don't come through right now in this specific way, if you don't rush to our aid, if you don't show up in a way that I expect you to, all will be lost. But the promise that God made us was that he would be faithful even unto death. There's never a moment when you're not seen, even in your greatest of troubles. Sure, you have wants. Sure, some of you would like to be like helicoptered out. It's not always the way life works. For two weeks, they continue to be bombarded. By March, 5th, 1836, Colonel Travis knew what would be the inevitable end of the place called the Alamo. He knew that with 189 men, he would never be able to defend it. He knew that there would be no possibility of them being able to continue to protect it much longer. So he called his men together inside. As they were standing there in the courtyard, He looked at them and you're expecting like some big, like awesome speech, right? Like, all right, guys, let's go. Let's let's give them bayonets. But this is what he said. He said, we must die. Our business is not to make a fruitless effort to save our lives, but to choose the manner of our death. We must die. Our business is not to make a fruitless effort to save our lives, but to choose the manner of our death. For him, he saw three possibilities. Surrender, which would lead to execution. Trying to fight their way out, which would inevitably 
end in being overwhelmed because they were outnumbered three or 4,000 to less than 200. Or to remain in this fort, resist every assault, and to sell our lives as dearly as possible. Young Tapley Holland made his decision quickly, proclaiming, I'm ready to die for my country, as he jumped over the line. Youthful ignorance, right? (laughs) It's hard to picture it as a stampede where people are really excited to say, woo, it's gonna cost me my life, let's do this. But everyone but two people crossed over that line. Co-commander Jim Bowie was on a cot, he was sick, and he asked to be carried over the line. The next morning when it was still dark and it was cold, he couldn't see. The Mexican army began their advance upon the Alamo. 5.30 in the morning, they played a song called El Degueo. It meant no quarter would be given. As they were advancing, they were playing this song to let the people inside the fort know that there would be no surrender accepted. And they knew what their inevitable fate was, but they made a decision that day on how they would die. Some of you this morning are going, whoa, wait a second, that's really gruesome. Oh my goodness, Pastor Justin. Let me remind you of a passage of scripture in Mark chapter eight. Verse 34, it says, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. Crucifixion is one of the most gruesome punishments that has ever been invented by any people group. And Jesus tells them to take up their cross because there will be a fight. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. It is inevitable, we will die. In case you're waiting for the silver lining that someday there will be something that will help us live for forever. Even if you could, you would be extremely miserable in the physical world. Jesus said, but if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his fathers with the holy angels. Jesus did not mince words. If you wanna be his disciple, it will cost you something. And for those of you that step over the line, you will know that it will cost you everything. Oh, but what you gain. We bought into a culture that says, if it feels good, do it. If you feel like it, go for it. When Jesus has very clearly drawn a line, I said, if you wanna be my disciples, you must deny yourself. He didn't go to the crucifixion so that you could carry your sin and you would have to carry your sin once and for all. But you have to carry a cross. You want the easy way out. Let me just burst your perfect American bubble. You will die. 
but I want to choose how. I want to choose how I will give my life before that day comes. Philippians says this, it says, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Prison epistle. His life is about to be poured out and he's finding joy. Why? Because he's understood who Jesus was. Colonel Travis said, we will sell our lives as dearly as possible. Greatest commodity that you have is time. And how you sell that will determine your values, your principles. What are you doing? There is a war that is raging. Sin will stop at nothing. It wants to consume you. If you ever thought that it would play fair, that it is not treacherous, that it will not affect someone else. Let me tell you, when you step over the line and choose to be devoted to Christ, you don't get to keep playing with those things over and over again. We are dead to sin, alive in Christ. If you continue to practice sinning, why? How will you sell your life? How? Young people. In the commodity market, you have what would seem to be the most. How will you sell it? For those of you that are older, how will you sell it? There's a generation that is coming behind you that needs people to resemble the Jesus that we talk about. They don't need to be reminded of cultural differences or back in my day. They need to peer over your casket and see a life that was well spent. Whether I get a hundred, whether I get a thousand, whether I live to 99, when the day comes for someone to stand over my casket, for the love of God, let them know that I stood for something. That I wasn't okay with the moral decline, that I wasn't okay with the generation that's coming after me, seeing me controlled by sin. Oh, I know I'm gonna mess up. I know I'm not perfect. I'm not trying to act like a pastor up here. I've got things that I struggle with, but to be controlled by it, God, so much less than what Jesus wants for your life. How will you sell your life? Church people need to get off their offense and get offensive. I'm not talking about the kind that hurts people's feelings. I'm talking about aggressive for the cause of Christ, living a life that's dangerous to the devil. Where it matters what you say and where you go and what you do and how you speak, those things are important and they matter because they define who you are. I know that I have to die, but how I live is my decision. And who I live for I get to determine that. And some of you think that maybe you haven't made that decision. Well, let me tell you that you've, if you're not sure if you've made it, you've already made it. My hope for you today would be that you would cross the line and go from death to life. Will it cost you something? Yes. Man, one of my greatest stupid moments was thinking that when I come to Jesus, everything will be okay. 
Woohoo! Rainbows, sunshine, lollipops, dancing with lions and tigers in heaven, right? That can fly or I don't sing. I, oh, it's a fight. And there are times where I feel overwhelmed, but here's what I know. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Though a thousand come against me, he is by my right hand. Though all hell assail me, he will never fail me. I stand upon the promises and the principles that are talked about in Proverbs and have wisdom enough to know that what I experience is a, is a pathetic reflection of the glory that I will get to share in with the God who loves me. You're in a life and death fight. And to cross from death to life may require everything of you, but let me tell you, it is the best exchange that you could ever make. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I believe that there are people in this room that will go from spiritual death to life. God is tugging at your heart, speaking to you, reminding you that the life that you're living is so far below what you could be living. He's drawing it out of you, not condemnation, but a conviction that says, I'm so much better than the decisions I've been making. This morning you would say, Pastor Justin, my relationship with God, it's just not, it's not right. Would you just raise your hand and look at me? An honest confession. Here's what I know, I know that God sees the heart. That used to really scare me. Oh, but I want to. Are you aligning yourself with what God would have for you? How will you live your life? Who will you live your life for? Selfishly, foolishly, or will you listen to wisdom and choose to accept what God has done? This morning as we close out the service, I just wanna pray for you. Oh, there's a fight, but man, it's so worth it. God, I thank you that you're with us. God, you see the individuals who raise their hand, you know their individual circumstance, you know exactly what they're facing. God, you see each and every one of us. God, may it be said of us that we are yours. God, you don't ask for perfection, but you do ask for surrender, and I pray today that you would help us to see the value in surrender to you. God, that we would willingly lay down our life for what you would have for us. God, that we would chase you, that we would pursue God-sized dreams because you have birthed within each and every one of us a greatness. God, I pray that we wouldn't be so consumed in, in how we might die that, that we don't take advantage of living. God, you said that you want us to have life and life to the fullest. And God, I pray for anyone who may be far from you. God, that they would come into a knowledge of who you are and they would turn from those things that have snared them and look to you as the author and finisher of their faith. God, we thank you that your sacrifice is sufficient. And because of that, you challenge us to be better, to do better. And we just pray this morning that you would be with every person. 
Father, you see the sacrifice that families have made so that we can protect our civil liberties. And God, I just thank you for that. I pray that you would surround those families with your love, your peace, your presence. God, that an overwhelming calm would rush over their homes. God, that you would just be with them. God, we thank you that you are a God who is not dead, but that you are alive and you are working, you are moving, you are calling us to arms so that we may continue to fight the good fight. God, we just give you all glory, all honor, and all praise this morning for who you are and all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you guys so much for being here this morning. Hope that you have a great rest of the weekend. Enjoy some time with your family, your friends, but always remember what this weekend is about. Have a great day. We'll see you later.